like Steve said, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. I'm, uh, for anyone who doesn't know here or online, um, I'm Steve Rossi, and I'm a pastor here at the Gospel Tabernacle. And uh, as I like to say, it's always a privilege and honor to be with you in this capacity. It's, uh, it's really a joy um, to be bringing God's Word this morning. Um, I know that He has something for us. It was a rich time in preparation for me. Um, and today we're going to be talking about following Jesus and more specifically some key principles for the journey through the life of Simon, who most of us know as Peter. Um, and so, but he's Simon in this passage, and that's important. And we'll find out why um, as we journey a little bit through his life, starting um, in from Luke chapter 5. So if you look up on the screen, I'm going to ask you, as Joel has in recent weeks, to read with me. I found that to be engaging when I was sitting where you are now um, in a different kind of way. And so uh, if you can look on in the screen with me, we'll give people online uh, a minute to get there to Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. All right, is everybody online there? Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, let's read together. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish, their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled the both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Specifically, I want to talk to you about four points uh, for when we follow Jesus. Um, the first is when we follow Jesus, Jesus will meet our obedience with power. Secondly, when we follow Jesus, he will produce faith in us by his word. Thirdly, he will offend our minds to get to our hearts. And fourthly, 
He will prophesy our calling and anointing over us. And when I say calling, I mean who we are, our new identity in Christ, who he says we are, and anointing just means what he's purposed for us to do. Um, And so he will speak those things to us beforehand. Well, Joel said in recent weeks um, in preaching about the work of evangelism that um, to go where the grace is was one of his points. Go where the grace is. Remember he talked about persons of peace? Well, you see Jesus doing that here, right? He goes where the grace is. Now, you know, being God and all, he may have had some additional insight in what his plan was for Simon's life. (laughs) But uh, he knew Simon's heart was pliable. Um, He had been with him one other time to this point, uh, at this point in the journey, and it was when he said to him, um, you will be Cephas or Peter or Little Rock. So he's already said to him when Andrew introduced the two, uh, in an account in John chapter 1, that of who he would be. And here he talks about what he will do. But we know that his heart's pliable, right? Because first of all, before he even obeys Jesus to do what he told him to do, he, said, he calls him Lord, which means master. Um, and so he refers to Jesus pretty highly here, uh, but as highly as you can, and uh, calls him Lord. And then, as you read with me, he goes out into the deep, and he lowers the nets in obedience to Jesus. And he does this despite having been out all night, fishing in the shallow, in the night, because scholars say that in the Sea of Galilee, you should fish at night in the shallow of the water. Um, And so that's probably what Peter did. I mean, he was a fisherman, right? Albeit having done it to no avail. Um, And so despite that, Jesus, or he obeys Jesus when he tells him to go into the deep in the day. Um, And then despite the fact that Jesus is a carpenter and Peter's a fisherman, (laughs) he's still obeys Jesus, right? I find that, I mean, really to be like a high level of faith. Um, In Simon's words, it was, but because you say so. There was something about Jesus that Simon believed relative to who Jesus was in calling him Lord and, and saying this statement. And Um, You know, Simon's name means to listen or to hear. Uh, Now, you know, we all have, I think there's no one here with the name Simon, and we're following Jesus, and so it's not required that your name be Simon in order to follow Jesus. I just thought it was a fun fact. But um, so, but uh, his name does mean that. I find that interesting. And um, his obedience is met with power, right? If he doesn't do what he did, the catch doesn't happen, most likely. It's not because Jesus needed Simon to do what he did, right? Jesus did it, not Simon. However, it seems as though Jesus positions us to where it's pretty important that we obey in order to experience his power in our lives, right? And so we can put it that way. And so... Um, 
And there's a foreshadowing picture here of Simon catching men through his obedience, for surely people were drawn to Jesus through this experience that happened by way of Simon's obedience. Um, So not only is his obedience met with power, but this power produces more faith in Simon. Um, You know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ, but how many of you know that the Word of Christ isn't just limited to language? The Word of Christ can come in a picture. The Lord said in the last days, I'll pour out my Spirit on all flesh and all manner of people will have dreams and visions. And how many of you know that when dreams or visions are from God, that there's a message in them, that they mean something. There's a Word of Christ in the picture. And so it is here in the sign, in the miraculous catch of fish that are sinking two boats. And that Word, that picture of this sign is producing faith in Simon and the others. And that's important because we need faith for the next step in the journey because it's a journey, not just a moment that is our lifetime, right? And so I may have shared this story in another sermon. I've shared it in a few different contexts. I don't remember. Um, I do feel permission from Joel to retell stories. Didn't he just say that last week? Like that was okay? Um, So I was like, all right, I don't know, but it doesn't matter now. Um, no, so, uh, but I was traveling. I feel like it, it relates to this well, so I'm going to share it. I was traveling from Atlanta years ago back home, and I felt like the Lord told me to go the speed limit. And I reluctantly obeyed to do that. It was very hard. It was 55 miles per hour. Like, what's up with 55 on the highway? Like, is that really, should that be a thing? I don't know. But um, so, I'm driving, and then in the neck, and then I see in my mind's eye the word Withville, and I, um, I'm like, okay, and then I go into an open vision, specifically a panoramic vision where I'm watching a woman uh, put on a black apron at the right of a rest of a subway rest stop, and um, she has a black subway hat on, red hair and a ponytail, high cheekbones, very vivid vision. And I'm like, okay, Lord, what does this mean, and what should I do? And, and then the song, Joy to the World, drops in my head. And I'll tell you, I don't know that I've heard, ever heard the Lord so clearly in a series of different kinds of, you know, communication like that uh, before or since, um, or so clearly, uh, period, but that's what was happening. It was just like a flood of His, um, of his words, in different ways. Anyway, so I, um, I was rehearsing those words, uh, let earth, you know, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. And, and so, you know, Withville was about an hour and a half away or so, and um, it would have been about lunchtime, so I didn't tell anybody about the vision, but just asked if they were cool with stopping at Subway. And sure enough, uh, Geneva was there. Her name's Geneva. Pray for Geneva. Jesus loves Geneva. I probably would have applied uh, the word that I got in the car a lot differently today, seven years later, than I did that day. Kind of um, stumbled through that with her a little awkwardly. and But my faith was so full, can you imagine? <laughs> I was ready to fall on my face and worship God on that dirty rest stop floor. But um, the point I'm making is this. I believe that the Lord met my obedience with the next message. I believe that when I stopped to go, when I slowed down to go the speed limit, 
that he released another word. And I believe that if nothing else, it wouldn't have been lunchtime yet when we got to Withville because I'd have been driving 75 miles per hour. <laughs> and we wanna, even if he gave me the vision and he was gracious, even though I disobeyed him and didn't go the speed limit, and we want to stop there. And so all I'm pointing out is that he meets our obedience with power and he produces faith with us in us by his word. And so this was important for Simon, back to the text, because Simon, after all, um, he would need this. As we see in this very passage, he would need a word of Christ to take that next step of the journey, leave everything and follow him. Because Simon was very disoriented in this passage, right? We see him say, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, despite this what I would call a pretty darn positive experience. I mean, <laughs> I don't see what the problem is, <laughs> you know, except that the Lord was addressing something internal in Simon, and it wasn't something new in Simon. It was something revealed. It wasn't like this just happened upon Simon, this response. No, it was from within his heart, right? And he says, depart from me. It's a seemingly strange response, but if we stop a minute and think, um, I think many of us can relate to this, right? Um, it's the effect of shame. I am what I've done. I'm not deserving of this because it depends on me, not your love. And so, depart from me. And later, Jesus would say to um, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked permission to sift you to separate you from God like wheat is sifted. And here you see the battle. This is three years prior to that statement when Jesus said that to him. Here you see the battle has already begun for Simon's soul, right? And so, and he's partnering with the enemy, in fact. The lie of the enemy. You're not worthy of this love. You're not worthy to be called who he says you are. And so Simon partners with this and says, leave me for I'm a sinful man. And so we see the way he's partnered with the enemy in his heart already, and it's surfaced. It's revealed. And he's not just disoriented, um, but it's a term that I recently learned with some others. Um, he's experiencing liminality. And liminality is disorientation regarding a rite of passage. Now, you all know what a rite of passage is, right? It's a ceremony or a ritual initiating someone into position or into a new season in life, in a culture. Um, and so for um, a boy in uh, Jewish culture, uh, a Jewish boy, when he turns 13, he has a ceremony called a bar mitzvah. And that bar mitzvah gives him, uh, as, he, as he passes through that from one side to the other, that gives him rights that he didn't have before. And he's known as uh, a bar mitzvah um, in that uh, through that ceremony, which means a son of commandment. And indeed, Jesus is drawing Simon toward his sonship of the heavenly Father in the kingdom of God. And it's a collision between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. The darkness was already there. It surfaced in Simon, right? But it's Jesus, the light of the world, who is confronting it head on. And this is some of what 
happens in all of our lives, right? This journey of disorientation, or better yet, liminality, because it has to do with the rite of passage towards sonship, moving from orphan to spiritual son in Christ, right? Well, this is a divine disruption in Peter, in Simon's life. I'm going to correct myself when I say Peter, because I'm so used to him being Peter. Um, (laughs) But he's not Peter yet, and we're going to talk about that, but um, in this story. And so, um, but this disruption is uh, what you've heard us refer to around here as a Kairos moment. For Simon, it's, a, it's like a negative one, you know. Um, I remember, I can relate to this. This was several years ago, and it was before I had kids. And um, Julie and I were married at our first house, and I was um, trying to cut the grass. I was trying to start the lawnmower. And you could say that I had a disproportionate response to the problem at hand when the lawnmower didn't start. Um, And uh, so, um, in fact, I let out a blood-curdling scream that shocked me uh, and my wife. Julie comes out of the house. What was that? What happened? I don't know. Did you hear that? I hope everybody's okay. Completely lied. Um, (laughs) to her. She's not learning this for the first time. Um, (laughs) On Facebook Live, uh, I have confessed this to her. Um, Otherwise, wouldn't I be sweating up here right now Um, and be really stupid for bringing it up in this way to her um, for the first time. So, um, but completely lied. Why? I was so full of shame at that response. I was so bound up in shame and apparently rage in my heart. (laughs) It's like that was new to me, but it was revealed by God. And unfortunately, I didn't engage, you know, um, the opportunity to start on a journey of healing or even identifying, much less healing. What is that going on in me? But wouldn't you know that Jesus is so good that he will circle back to the proverbial seashore of our lives? Um, he's gentle, but he's, and he's not controlling. He didn't make me do anything that day, and I didn't. And yet, <laughs> he came back and addressed that again. Are you ready, son? Are you ready to be called son? <laughs> Are you ready to know that you're worthy of sonship? Because I love you, you know? Sometimes we can get this twisted notion, and I think especially in religion or as the church, that it's somehow humble of us to be ashamed. I'm really not worthy. But Jesus addresses that here in Simon. He wants to drive that out of us because it implies this has something to do with me and earning it, and it doesn't. (laughs) And that's what he's getting at in us is driving that out of us. And so, you know, my hope is that our trajectories toward wholeness, believing in Jesus for the healing of our hearts, rather than self-righteousness, because brothers and sisters, if it's the latter, what can he do for us? He came for the sick. And so, Simon here... um, begins to follow Jesus. He drops everything and follows him. And 
And I really believe that it was because of Jesus' extravagant grace. Um, Calvin, a well-known theologian, calls this irresistible grace. I'm going back to my Geneva College roots, my alma mater. Um, No, but it is this irresistible grace that draws Simon and the others to Jesus. And I don't believe that it was just the catch of fish. It was just the miracle. Yeah, these, these, um, Jesus said, if you don't see a sign, you won't believe. And indeed, faith followed the sign, and there's purpose to the sign, but a sign points you to Jesus. A sign points you to a per- the person. And I believe Jesus is never more manifestly present than he was incarnate in the flesh, right? Here he was, Simon, in Jesus' very manifest presence, drawn to Jesus despite what we see clearly was going on in his heart. And so he follows him. And uh, some of you may know, and for for Bartimaeus, uh, the man who was blind in Scripture, who Jesus heals, it was that healing, that sign of Jesus' love that was healing that caused Bartimaeus, it says, to follow him. Or what about the demoniac who begged Jesus to follow him after Jesus delivered him from several demons and he was in his right mind? He begged Jesus, can I follow you? And Jesus said, no, he had a different anointing for his life. You stay here and you lead other people to me. You tell them what I did for you. But either way, whatever the person's journey is, whatever their assignment, whatever their anointing, it's uh, common for us to be called to sonship and to follow Jesus as sons of our Heavenly Father. Amen. And so we see He is, begins this journey. And it's a daily journey because on one hand, uh, Jesus came to give us violently excessive life. Um, But on the other, He says, I have so much more to tell you, but you can't handle it all right now. (laughs) And so he's patient, and he's kind, and the walk is daily. The surrender is daily. I recently heard a quote, dead people receive grace. (laughs) And it just reminds me of what Paul spoke of so often to the church in Rome, and in that Romans uh, letter, about over 40 times that, your old man's dead. Your old man's dead. Live like it in faith. (laughs) Believe it, that your old man is dead, and it's there that we receive his power for resurrection life. Amen. And we know later that Simon would walk in the fullness of that power, in the fullness of his new name, in the fullness of his identity, in the fullness of his anointing. So this journey that Simon begins is uh, a journey that is true for all of us. It's a pattern. And the pattern is calling, wilderness, and commissioning. Calling, and then a wilderness, and then commissioning. Do you remember in the life of Joseph, the Lord gave him a calling and a dream as a young man. And before he was commissioned to be a father to Pharaoh, second uh, in command in the kingdom of Egypt, his brothers tried to kill him. He was a slave of Potiphar and a prisoner in Egypt. He had a wilderness before he was commissioned. We can go on about really every character in the Bible. Moses, David, who was anointed years before he became king, and 
only to run after his or to run for his own life from Saul before he actually became king, and um, and on and on it goes. But it's true for all of us um, that we live out this pattern as followers of Jesus. And so, lastly, I want to talk briefly about calling and anointing. You know, Jesus would say to Simon, not just in John 1, but later on in the journey, um, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. But did you know that it didn't mean he was Peter that day, and therefore he didn't function as Peter that day? He was still Simon. Because how many of you know that it's a prophetic promise when he's prophesying, you will be Peter, (laughs) you know, but he's not yet. And I bring that up. It's important because sometimes you'll get a prophetic word in a spirit-filled environment like this. You'll get a prophetic word from someone and the word is good. And I've shared this in different ways, I think, in the past, but, um, but it's a seed, And obedience is like water to the seed. Each day, that daily surrender of yes in your heart to God is the obedience that waters the seed until it grows to full bloom, and you are a manifestation of His prophecy. You are the Word made flesh. I'm not talking about like Jesus was. (laughs) I'm talking about you are now walking in your commissioning the fullness of your calling. Does that make sense? We see that in the life of Peter in the book of Acts and in his letters later on. Um, And so, but what about Simon's wilderness? He was called Peter by Jesus as a prophetic promise, but his wilderness, um, think about it. I mean, the father told Simon that Jesus was the Messiah. He let him in on a secret of the kingdom, right? pretty important one, right? And um, also, he says to Jesus elsewhere, Lord, you have the words of life. Where else would we go from your presence? Or what about when he walks on water? That's pretty cool. Um, (laughs) um, Or what about uh, when Jesus says to Simon, get behind me, Satan, because you have in mind the things of men and not the things of God. Or how about this one? You'll betray me three times. All one journey. And so Simon does betray him. And John, if you can come and play. Thanks. Simon does betray him. And it's after that, after Jesus' resurrection, that he, Jesus meets Simon on another seashore. And this time, Jesus is on the shore. And he calls out to Simon, who's fishing with his friends, to lower his net for a catch. put it on the other side, right? And um, when he does that, um, they get this big catch of fish again. This is three years later, okay, from the text we just read. And there is like a vastly different response from Simon this time, right? Simon puts on his outer garment as he recognizes it's the Lord. And he jumps in the water and swims to him. Because in three years' time in the wilderness, the Father's love became so settled in Simon's heart that he knew that even in the context of being unreconciled to Jesus, he had just betrayed him. (laughs) 
that he loved him and accepted Simon and that he was, Simon was significant because he loved him, not because of anything he did or didn't do. Do you remember in this passage, he said, depart from me from a sinner. But three years later, he would swim to Jesus. And Jesus had some things to say to Simon on the shore that day, right? One that was notable to me is that he still called him Simon, son of John. <laughs> he still wasn't Peter <laughs> on the shore that day. This promise still wasn't fulfilled in his life, but he was definitely moving toward wholeness as evidenced by that swimming, right? <laughs> that swimming to Jesus and getting into his presence. And Jesus says to him, Simon, if you love me, feed my sheep. And it reminds me of what Sister Diane DeBold said to me about a month ago. She said, you know, when I was able to truly experience Jesus' rest and the healing that it brought, she said, I was able to, to then carry his burdens. You know the passage, come to me, you who are weary and heavy burden, I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. She said to me, Steve, what's his burden? And I thought she was asking a rhetorical question until she said, what's his burden? <laughs> and she said, it's out there. It's the harvest. It's other people. And I was able to stop looking at myself and look up and see God's purpose for my life was not me, it was them. <laughs> and so here Jesus says to Simon, son of John, feed my sheep. And Simon's able to handle this word now. I'm giving this to you. <laughs> you know, to, I'm entrusting you with this to be a catcher of men. You know the catcher or fisher of men, that word to catch means enthrall or capture for life. Jesus caught Simon in the text we read. He enthralled him. He captured him for life. And we see this growth in Simon to where he's ready to hear the word, feed my sheep. Brothers and sisters, we all have a calling and an anointing from God that he is prophesying over us. And the fulfillment thereof is on the other side of our yes in daily surrender. But we sang about it. We sang what Simon said, because you say so. You're a man of your word, right? <laughs> um, it's not just, I feel like surrender has a negative connotation. And it is what, it is what we do, but it's not in a vacuum. It's in response to his goodness. He's so good. Like Simon said, where else would we go? You have the words of life. What am, what am I going to do? Reject this goodness? For what? Right? And so this, this yes is our pleasure. This yes is our joy. And more and more so, the more he heals our hearts.